You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Dr. Heather Dewey Hagborg. Heather, thanks so much for being with me today. Hello, thanks for having me. Heather, we're going to talk about your 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 work at Friedman Gallery, um, specifically hybrid and interspecies opera. You know, really fascinating project. Uh, so. Uh, let's. I'm not sure where to start, but you know, it's um, it's such an interesting film. It's such an interesting research process. It asks so many questions. Uh, so maybe to talk a little bit about your practice, and then we'll get into we'll get into the show and and um, and talk about the process and the film um, in in terms of this practice and. Uh, in, in your background, in terms of uh, research and, and critical practice, how how does this particular project fit in with that? Because this is an extension of your work, but also something quite new for you, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I have been working at the intersection of art and technology for about 20 years. And that began for me with an interest in artificial intelligence, and looking at um, surveillance systems and, th- and things of that nature. And that evolved about 10 years ago into an interest in biotechnology and how biotech intersects with digital technologies and with various risks. It began with an interest in thinking about genetic privacy and how our bodies were becoming this kind of liability Um, that we were becoming legible in a way through the accessibility of genetics and genomics. And then over the last 10 years, I've continued with that line of work. So I've continued working in this, what some people call bio art um, field, using biology as a medium for art, but also using it as as an opportunity to provide critique and to give the public an entry point into thinking about the implications of some of these emerging tools. And so the the background of kind of why I got interested in looking at CRISPR gene editing technology and then what drew me eventually to xenotransplantation or the genetic engineering of pigs to have human compatible organs because it was the record breaking site for CRISPR-Cas9 technology. It was the place where the most simultaneous gene edits had ever taken place, and that was to make pigs more human. And that, when I, when I read that, I thought that is just fascinating on so many levels and something I'd like to dig into further. And so, so let's talk about how you dug into that further. Um, what was what was the process of, of, of research, and, and what did you begin to learn? And then you know, I want to talk about the show, but the research seems um, very important to discuss as well. Yeah, absolutely. So normally I like to begin in the lab, but when I started this project, I was invited for a show at the MIT Museum, um, and that's where the project began. And it was during COVID, and it was really hard to get access to any kind of labs in that time period for me. And so I started my research virtually, and I started doing these Zoom calls, with scientists who are involved in this, in, in xenotransplantation research and recording those calls. 
and then generating transcripts from them and kind of working my way through the transcripts, understanding what was said, but also editing them, you know, pulling out basically phrases from the transcripts that had poetic meaning and kind of arranging these phrases. And that is ultimately what ended up becoming the libretto that is sung in the in the opera of the of uh, hybrid of the film. And so, the, so the libretto is those are those are quotes from from scientists essentially. Exactly. So science started with scientists. So all of the words are drawn from things that people actually said to me in my research for this, and that includes geneticists, evolutionary biologists. Um, as well as uh, zoo archaeologists. So as I started getting into the cutting-edge technology, I became really interested in the long history of this relationship between pigs and humans, in part because what scientists often say is that the, the technology, the gene editing technologies are just an extension of what we've been doing for 10 millennia already through domestication and selective breeding. And so I really wanted to use this project as an opportunity to probe into that and talk to different kinds of experts across fields that are related you know, scientifically to that, uh, to that question or to that claim and to really probe into whether, there is a, whether it is a continuous process that, you know, that is directly continuing what we started 10 millennia ago or whether there is a rupture there, whether something really radically new is happening with CRISPR. Technologies, And so I also talked to archaeologists who go out and dig up ancient bones, you know, from wild boars and look at these transition points from the wild boar to the domestic pig, for example. So all of that winds into the libretto and then ultimately into the film as well. And and so what did you find in that? I mean, that, that does seem, you know, in some ways to me as a, just a lay person in, in understanding this, that that comparison that we've been doing this for millennia and it's an extension of that is a little bit of a leap. This seems to be, mm-hmm. um, as you were saying, a radical shift or, or possibly a radical shift. What did you find in your research? Is it just an extension of what we've been doing for, for ages and domesticating animals? And, um, and, or, or, or is there something quite different happening here? Mm-hmm. I think it is a radical shift. And what I found, even when I would talk to the scientists who would start off saying, oh, yeah, we've been doing this for thousands of years, once we really got into it, then we usually found, well, you know, I mean, the things we're doing today we never could have possibly done with those older methods, like genes that cross species, species that you would never get to interbreed. You know, these are just really radically new capabilities. And then you add in the fact that we can do it now with such precision and with such speed and the possibility there to make really new creatures becomes really at hand. And so I do think that it is a rupture, what's going on. The, the other interesting question that it kind of brought me to, though, is that in a way, it's as if we're reconnecting the tree of life. It's like reaching back to our ancestor from like 90 million years ago, that was the uh, Boreo-Eutherian was the last common ancestor between the pig and the human. And it's almost like we're bringing that back, you know, in creating this new creature that is closer to the human than pigs have been traditionally. 
So that's very interesting and, 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 and such a kind of curious uh, I, idea. So, you know, <laughs> this idea that it's, that it's bringing us back somehow, I mean, you know, because it, it also, um, I mean, what you're saying is that that kind of, um, if this is what you're saying, that supports the idea of, of kind of Darwinian evolution, or or or, or, or does it? You know, is, is that kind of what you're saying that it that it creates very, these links? Yeah, it's a very strange thought, <laughs> and one that I'm mm-hmm. also still unpacking myself. But when I would talk with the scientists about it, they would say literally, "This is a humanized pig. It is." a pig that has been made more human. And so there is kind of this philosophical level on which it is creating a, you know, a new kind of species. That becomes the question, when does it start to get counted as a new species? And then where would we position that species in terms of categorization relative, for example, to this ancient ancestor that connected us in the first place? So it's, it's probably more a philosophical question than one with any practical significance. I'm not sure about that, but I think it's just an interesting thing to ponder about kind of the, the direction of time and evolution and whether we are indeed um, turning things around in a strange way. You know, it's such an interesting field as an artist to also be involved with. And as you said, some people have called this, you know, bio art and, um, Going under different names, yeah. and I've I've interviewed different people over over the last five years um, about art, you know, primarily. But there's been several bio artists among them, and you know, it seems to me to be there's there's different types, and not to really generalize it all. But since you've been talking with with scientists, and I imagine also artists, the artists that are involved in in kind of um, CRISPR and, and all of this. Um, yeah, seems seems like it's it's really going out there, right? There are people doing things like making living leather jackets and and and, mm-hmm. and doing their own kind of artistic experiments. But it it also seems to be um, I don't know how to put it something that's almost hard to wrap your mind around, and that some of the artists that I've talked to that are involved aren't talking about it in quite the way you are with a kind of I mean some are with with a sort of sense of of scientific research, but also mm-hmm. there's this sense of it being something outrageous going on, you know, and, and that, mm. and that, and that artists are reveling in the, in the kind of, um, the shock of this, you know, of, <laughs> of, of what it, of, of what it means to, to, to use this technology. So I, I know this is kind of vague, but in terms of all the people you're meeting in the field, which is, mm-hmm. you've been talking about science so far, there's also artists out there, right? And, and what I'm asking is um, about the kind of we're talking about moral questions and philosophical questions, but um, but but it's also kind of like futurist. It's bringing together, right? Or I don't know what the term of it is, but it's a very different way of looking at. Just as you're saying, humanizing the pig. We're like, what's also happening with how we're perceiving ourselves and our own mm. ability to do these things? And uh, artists run one way with that, or, or many ways with it, but it often borders on the extremely eccentric. And 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 scientists seem to have this kind of incredibly grounded approach. Well, it's this and this and then this. And mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense, yeah. W- what are you seeing out there, and the different kind of personalities and people who are involved in this field between artists and scientists? 
Yeah, I mean, there are definitely a lot of eccentric people involved. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and it's interesting that you point out something about the shock value of doing experiments with biology as an art medium. It's true. I mean, that is really a presence there if you think about everything from the GFP Bonnie of Eduardo Katz, you know, back at like the turn of the millennium, um, also the work that Stellark did with putting his ear in his arm, things like that. There definitely is this kind of um, attempt to shock people, to call attention to things that are possible in different ways. Sometimes people have a political aim with that. Sometimes it's more genuine just interest in pushing the boundaries. Um, and it's interesting that you, you bring in the shock thing because it is kind of hard to shock people through art anymore. <laughs> you know, That's right. The 20th it century, is. like so much was done to shock people that it's really hard to come up with anything shocking. But you're really right that there is still something with this kind of hacking the basics of biology and what people think of as nature that can still shock and disturb in in new ways. So I think there is something there in in this wish to kind of jolt people out of their complacency and get them thinking about these issues. That's at least how I would relate to it because my goal is really to get people to get into conversation about these topics that are very much impacting our our lives and you know, in the near future, many of us will have to make the decision about organ transplants and about what kind of sources of organ transplants we might find acceptable. Yeah, that's so interesting. So um, to talk about some of the work in the show, there's, of course, um, the opera, as, as we're tangentially discussing, and then also um, sculptural materials, right? Um, yeah. There's, there's, you know, genetic materials and custom software that was under the title Radical Love. That's a 2017 piece. Um, this is a 3D print, but these are sculpture, right? And it, and it also touches on some of these issues that, that are shocking, for lack of a better word, but like, what is happening here? Are we looking at a person? You know, it's, it makes mm. AI look, look very tame in comparison with the idea that, you know, um, yeah, there could yes. be um, something else happening genetically around us that's almost, well, that is, could be impossible to recognize. Yeah, I mean, because the work that I was doing previously and that I've shown at, at Friedman Gallery in prior exhibitions is looking at human DNA, human genomics, and the attempts to predict uh, phenotypes from DNA, and then showing some of the potentials of that, showing the limitations, the reductionisms involved, and and exploring that space. And in this show, it's it's pretty focused on the human, non-human animal relation. Um, so what you see when you approach the gallery, for example, so through the window of the gallery, you'll see these kind of what look a bit like parts of a pig, so component parts. And these are 3D printed ceramic sculptures that are essentially um, components of the pig that can be, um, I was thinking of it as representing the cut and paste nature of the genetic code. It's as if you could piece together different types of pigs and create a kind of custom pig. So you'll see different colored, like different colored glazes on these different components of the pig parts that represent these pig futures. 
and that's kind of one branch of the exhibition. So the, the, the film and the whole body of research is looking at this long history, but it's also looking out into the future and anticipating what might the pig, the pig turn into or what might it look like some decades from now. And there's a few different directions that I depict in the installation, and those are illustrated with CGI animations, but also with these um, 3D printed ceramic pigs that I fabricated as well. And it shows, basically there's three branches to that. Um, one of them is a continuation of the, the, the way that the pig has been bred for um, meat purposes, so for domestication, for agriculture. And those pigs have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and been bred to have more and more offspring. So the, the what I call the big pig <laughs> branch of that is this kind of giant pig that can that can have a, a litter of 30 piglets. And so that's one pig that's depicted in the show. Another animation that you'll see is this kind of pile of piglets that are really very tiny. And this represents another direction, which are the biomedical pigs, which have been engineered to be smaller and smaller and smaller. And some scientists are aiming to have pigs that are really as small as rats so that they can perform experiments easily on small creatures that are much more closely related to humans than rats are. And so in this, in this animation, you'll see that this, this kind of pile of very tiny piglets that also have these coats like tigers or leopards or calico cats. And so what that is representing is the biomedical pig, but also imagining that a gene associated with these kind of exotic coat colors is inserted into that pig's DNA. And that's kind of a continuation of two things. One is that that is one of the first things that happened with gene editing or with genetic engineering that we were able to take genes from one organism and put them in another. And the other is that when we first started domesticating pigs, one of the first things that started to change is what scientists call the coat color or the color of the fur, and that is when the pig started to move from looking like a wild boar to looking like that kind of cute pink pig that we think of probably when we close our eyes and think of pigs. So those are two of the uh, branches of the speculative future pig, and then the third is the one that's really directly related to the film with xenotransplantation and thinking about the pig that's becoming ever more human. And when you see this pig, it's just a little bit more human. <laughs> so if you look at his face, you'll detect that there's something uncanny going on there. And then if you kind of look closely, you'll see what it is, is that this is a pig that has a much more human nose. And so that's imagining the continuation of this, uh, making the pig more and more human. And also that as we started domesticating the pigs, um, the snout became also kind of, um, in many cases, smaller and the pig started to look sort of cuter and it's sort of imagining a, a, a continuation of that process taking place. It's so fascinating, um, Heather, talking to you about this. And, you know, it, it, it seems um, like we're talking about the kind of theory of going back and in, in, in the opera, of course, you know, what's this, this reflection on, on um, in the interspecies opera on, on pigs and this domestication that's gone back and 
And of course, also your, your sculptures are in the show and I, and, and in the process for making those, you know, part of this seems that it's in this interview. And also I imagine with your conversation is that it, it kind of, and if somebody owned your sculptures or, or collectors or other objects, part of what's, what's happening there is even in the collector's home, it's generating a conversation. You know, what is this? What's happening here with this, with this model? And then they talk about it. So, um, so it's fascinating to me that, that the show and your work in general generate so much conversation. And I, I think the, the one other question I wanted to ask about that was, as you've been researching and doing all of this, um, you know, you're, you're looking backwards in, in many ways in this show, back on, on, on the domestication of pigs and, and how things have changed in, in, in the context of, of, um, of all of this, this new technology and work. Does it make you, with all your um, knowledge about this, does it make you think differently about your own future or the future of of human beings? You know, you're, it doesn't seem that we've discussed that or into that, but isn't that part of what um, it, it kind of brings the issue up of, right? If, if pigs are looking more like humans, it could also potentially be, you know, the other way around, or, or, or could we change our bodies? Could we be immortal or, or, or something like that. Um, so just yeah. kind of a, a personal question on your research, has it changed the way you see your life or, or, or death even? Definitely it has put, it has brought the, the extreme um, shortness of the Homo sapiens presence on the planet into perspective for me. I mean, thinking of these really long timelines, and when you walk into the gallery, you'll see this timeline that starts 90 million years ago, and then, you know, we don't get the Homo sapiens until like 300,000 years ago. Meanwhile, the wild boar was there 5 million years ago already. And so it, it definitely puts some perspective on the position of the human as being this like really, you know, tiny, tiny dot in the, the timeline of life. And it also brings up the questions like you mentioned about human gene editing. I and mean, that's always something that is um, kind of hanging there usually as a threat. <laughs> um, but there are, you know, there are also positive potentials that enter with that. So it definitely has got me thinking a lot about what is going to happen in terms of how we will um, allow and and structure the editing of human genes in both adults and um, you know embryos um, into the future. Heather, it's been fascinating talking to you about this, and you know, of course, for those listening, there's more links here, so you can learn more about this and see images and um, and more from the show. Uh, I, I want to ask you one more question that's a little off topic, but I'm always curious what um, what are you reading at the moment? <laughs> yeah, so this is very, uh, very different, although I guess the history part of it is what connects it because I am always very interested in getting at the details of history. So I've been reading the book The Fall of the Ottomans by Eugene Rogan. Heather, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. It's really been a pleasure. I wish you well with the show, and I hope the listeners will come to see it. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I hope people will come out to the exhibition. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. 
This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.